Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. We've got a great one in store for you this week. I'm really excited to bring you an interview with Dr. Nicole Wax, who some of you may know and some of you uh, may not. I was introduced to Dr. Wax at a uh, Invisalign meeting recently, uh, the Invisalign meeting in Las Vegas, uh, where she was speaking. And uh, I just loved her energy and her enthusiasm and her whole story. And I'm thrilled to have her here on the podcast to share that with you today. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to do a book review. We haven't done one of those in a little while. And uh, today I wanted to talk about a book that I read last year. This book is Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And Peter Thiel, as you may or may not know, was one of the founders of PayPal. I think he's a venture capitalist now, perhaps mildly controversial for some of his you know, extra business activities and political views. Nevertheless, wrote this book on kind of startups and business thinking, which was recommended to me, and I found it very interesting. And I think it's the sort of book that uh, you read, and it just kind of challenges you to think about things in a little bit of a different way, because certainly this guy has a little bit of a different way of thinking about things than I think I do and many of us do. Like I mentioned, the book is is kind of dedicated to this zero to one concept. In other words, what does it take to go from nothing to something if we have something that's already in existence and we're just kind of replicating it or expanding it or growing it. That's one set of skills. But going from nothing to something like these startups do, perhaps a little bit like an orthodontic practice does, although certainly we're using uh, a little bit of a, of a known model. There's lessons to be learned, right? And, there, and there's things that uh, we need to think about when that happens. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this book. There was some discussion here of kind of some different topics. Uh, incremental advances versus making bold strokes, being lean and flexible versus going for it and selling out for one idea. Do we do we look at our competition and do we improve on our competition? What is the nature of competition? And then this balance, I think there's a lot of discussion in this book between improving the product. Does a company focus on improving its product or does it focus on improving its sales? And both of those can be important at different times and kind of with different models of thinking here. And I think that applies to us as well. Certainly in orthodontics, we're, we're trying to improve our product. And then we're also trying to, uh, you know, improve our, the distribution of it, the promotion of it. What is our product? There's a lot of questions, I think, as you're reading this, when you're asking yourself, how does this apply to me? It spurs some kind of unique uh, trains of thoughts here. Part of the book kind of meanders a little bit in a somewhat indulgent fashion uh, into politics and philosophy. You know, the author really seems to enjoy these two by two graphs where he compares two concepts. And so, you know, there's there's a little bit of that. But but even that, I think, is kind of an insight into how you know someone else thinks about problems and, and views things. Let me read you two quotes from the book. Uh, the first one here, it says the single most powerful pattern I have noticed is that successful people find value in unexpected places, and they do this by thinking about business from first principles instead of formulas. 
And I think that's definitely something that we kind of fall into in our industry is that we have kind of formulas. We get in our groups and we want to ask each other how we do this or we get a consultant to tell us how to do it. I like this thought that we're going to go back to first principles and say, you know, what is important to us in an ideal situation? How would this work? If I didn't know anything about orthodontics and I were to walk in the door, you know, how would I design it? So kind of revisiting your practice from first principles, I think, is a really interesting point. And the other quote that I liked here, it said, a new company's most important strength is new thinking. Even more important than nimbleness, small size affords the space to think. And uh, for those of us who have practices that maybe have grown and gotten a little bit busier, you know, that space to think sometimes gets uh, a little bit pushed aside. And, and, and having that is, is really a, a premium thing that, you know, I think we maybe can make a little bit more time for. So, you know, at the very least, it's an interesting book. Uh, giving some information on some of the background of some of these tech startups and how the world of venture capital works. Just a fascinating book. Not very long. You can read it, you know, in one or two sittings. It's a short book, but I recommend it. Peter Thiel, Zero to One. We're going to get into the interview now with Dr. Wax after a brief word from the sponsor of this week's episode. I'm Dr. Glenn Krieger here to tell you about the upcoming Orthopreneur's Summit. You've probably already heard about last year's meeting, and right now, right here, I'm personally inviting you to Summit 2019. This is about so much more than just lectures. Anybody who goes knows it's about an experience, like finally getting into that exclusive club, except this experience is centered on you and your team with all food, drink, parties, and lectures covered by your ticket. September 13th and 14th, our speakers include Cole Johnson, Dovi Prero, Kyle Fagula, Stu Frost, Nicole Wax, Ben Fishbein, Mariana Evans, Amanda Gallagher, Chris Feldman, Leon Panici, and way too many amazing world-class lecturers to list here. This is the business and practice growth meeting you need to attend with up to 18 hours of CE awarded. So go to opsummit2019.com and enter code word ELEVATE to get $100 off your registration right now. We only have 100 spots left for the team track and the hotel is already 60% full. So register soon because it will sell out and you do not want to miss this meeting. Dr. Nicole Wax attended Michigan State University and dental school at The Ohio State University. Uh, She returned to Michigan to uh, attend the University of Detroit, Michigan, and became an orthodontic specialist with a master's of science degree. Uh, She returned to her hometown of Linden, Michigan, and opened a practice right out of residency. Uh, Linden is a town of 4,000 people, and in just four years, they've accomplished tremendous goals and achievements, including the Diamond Plus Invisalign provider designation. She has a huge passion for community and loves to share her success stories with others as a form of motivation and inspiration. Dr. Wax thinks that success comes from clarity in your goals and most importantly in the plan of how to achieve your goals. A team that is also focused and motivated for the practice goals is instrumental in reaching your highest potential. Dr. Wax, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to chat with you this morning. Yeah, I'm really uh, happy to have you on. We met in Las Vegas at the Invisalign Summit where you were giving a presentation and uh, I was just really I guess, taken with your energy and enthusiasm and the amount of success that you've been able to have in such a short period of time. Uh, I loved your kind of laser focus on your goals. Tell our listeners, I guess, a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your maybe your backstory and how you came to be where you are today. Well, thank you. I, I love when I get an opportunity to reflect where I came from because it makes me just say, wow, like, all my hard work is paying off, you know, because we all went to school to become an orthodontist. And when I was in school, that was my number one focus. 
because it didn't come easy. So I had to work really hard like a lot of us did. But then when I graduated in 2014, you know, I had accomplished that. And now, and then I was like, now what? Um, and I eventually ended up opening my practice, um, which was not my initial intent, but because I knew I wanted to be home near my family and where I grew up, there weren't other opportunities for me. So it kind of forced me to open up what I thought was going to be just a small little practice in my hometown. So I knew there was obstacles in my way, right? The population was low. I did demographic studies. They all said not a good area based on competition, median household income, all of that stuff. And I said, that's okay. My heart's here. I'm still going to open that. Um, you know, if it's a small practice, I'm okay with that. I'll work elsewhere. And I did. But I kind of listed out all my obstacles and came up with a game plan for each one. So I knew that if there weren't a lot of people even available to choose me because the population was low or maybe there was other orthodontists, I wanted to make sure that whenever they thought of orthodontics, I popped in their mind. Not that they were going to choose me, but at least I was an option. So that's kind of where my marketing and, and community involvement started. I said yes to everything. I didn't pay myself a dime. I lived in a really crappy apartment, you know, for a good year and a half. And I put it all into marketing. Yeah. So now it's just who we are in our, and it's in our core that we love to do what we do in the community. But also we get a lot of positive feedback. Sure. And most everyone comes to our office because of even what they've heard on the radio or what we do for the community. And so that just positively feeds us each day. Yeah. You mentioned when you started out that you felt like, you know, you had some challenges or some obstacles. Go back to that time and kind of what were the things that were kind of most concerning to you? Are, are they the same things that you're worried about today? Or has that kind of evolved over time? When you thought about these things and these challenges you were going to face, what strategies did you have to kind of work through that? Well, um, the first one I remember is that no one was, you know, no one knew me or knew I was going to open my practice. So while I was still in construction and all that started in residency, I would come home and I made a flyer on, you know, PowerPoint, because that's all I was capable of doing. Anytime I visited a local business, you know, I was going to get pizza or going to the gas station or going to get coffee. I'd always have a flyer, introduce myself. Hey, I'm opening up a practice. Um, there's some fun tips in, in information about our practice on this flyer. We'd love to have you. There's a coupon, you know, all of this stuff. So I wasn't shy about that. So that was the first thing, right? Just getting my name out there. Running, running for mayor. I was running for mayor, right? You know, I started my practice. Well, here's another obstacle when you open a practice. Hiring. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're doing or who you need or how to hire people, right? Sure. So I had, I had a bunch of interviews and some really capable, wonderful people um, wanted to work with me, but they were all managers. Right. And I wasn't needing a manager because it was just me and them. So, <laughs> and I couldn't pay a manager either. So I had to say, you know, no to a lot of really wonderful, knowledgeable people. But then it was getting really close to my open date and I still didn't have anyone. So I hired my niece as an emergency employee. She had no experience, but we worked through things together and it was perfect for the time. But um, in the very beginning, I was very hands-on. You know, I could hear everything in the office because there might only be three people in the office. And if I heard something said a certain way, I'd go up and say, well, you know, you might have made them feel this way when you said that. If we said it this way, they might have, you know, been more receiving of the message or whatever it might be. Right. Um, so I was very hands-on. And, and actually, the uh, last week in Morning Huddle, I reminded people, like, I used to be able to hear everything at the front desk and was hands-on with training. And I would go up there right away and talk about it. And we weren't shy about 
talking about how we could improve because we all need to be open to know, well, how can we adjust the way we do things for what the consumer wants, right? Um, but now I don't get to do that because I'm busy seeing all my patients all day. You mentioned we met at Summit and something I learned at Summit uh, was the idea of having regular weekly meetings or daily meetings in your schedule. Right. So I implemented that after Summit because there's always so much to talk about with your team. And, you know, we have a half an hour before lunch every single, you know, full patient day to do mini trainings or even cross training. That's great. So that's my opportunity now to to work on things that I see we can improve on. Sure, sure. So, you know, you returned to the town in which you grew up in and started an orthodontic practice there. I'm sure that presented some kind of perhaps unique opportunities, but also kind of some challenges. You know, what was your experience like coming back to the town where everyone you know, as you said, no one knew, you know, about you as a practice, but you obviously you had a lot of connections and, and maybe a lot of existing relationships. And I'm sure that was an interesting experience. Yeah. So I, I wasn't sure how that would go because I am completely different I'm, as I'm sure you are, as you were when you were in high school. Right. And I'm like, gosh, I don't, I don't know what people thought of me in high school. Right. Like, I think I was nice, but I'm sure I wasn't as professional and, you know, um, nice as I am now, let's say, but um, I came back and, you know, even though this is my hometown, I went to school here, I grew up here, my family's here, I was gone 11 years. So, yep. you know, you almost come back not knowing people and not knowing anyone really in the professional world. Sure. So it did seem like I was new for a while, but then throughout time, I realized, wow, the school supported me tremendously. You know, my old teachers now are bringing their kids to me. And um, they just welcomed me with open arms to pretty much partner with a lot of things that they do, which we can talk about because my experience, and I remember hearing all the times, it's really hard to get in the schools. Yeah. It's really not. And, and, and it's not because I, you know, went to Linden that Linden likes me to be involved in their school. It's because I offer what they need and what they want. And no one's going to turn down something they need and want. So I think if you just go into the school's open arms, they're going to accept you for sure. But yeah, so my experience was a little bit like I was new and not from the town, but then there's other aspects that it made it definitely easier, or maybe it helped me grow faster because I was from there, you know, and it's a unique story and people love knowing your backstory, whatever it is. Um, And they love that I'm from the area and it's a small town. Yeah. Small towns support people that reinvest in their town. So absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned that the demographic reports maybe didn't look that great, uh, that on paper, this maybe wasn't the best decision. How do young orthodontists think about this? You know, they kind of hear this conflicting advice sometimes. Yours is kind of unique because typically a a more rural setting is a better opportunity. Um, But I think a lot of young orthodontists are faced with this challenge of trying to say, this is where I'd like to be, or this is where I'd like to live. But then on the other hand, you know, how do I go where there is an opportunity that's going to, you know, meet my needs and provide for a successful practice? What, what advice would you have for people kind of in that situation you were in a few years ago? I think if you're passionate enough about anything, uh, you will be successful. So definitely take in the information that you're hearing, even if it's not what you wanted to hear, um, and use that to motivate yourself. So for example, um, household income was low. Well, that matched up perfectly what was with what was important to me anyways, because I didn't come from money. And I begged my mom for years to straighten my teeth because I had severe crowding, which required extractions to correct. 
But, you know, I overcome that by offering really flexible financing. Right. I wasn't coming into orthodontics or opening a practice to get rich quick. Mm -hmm. That was not ever a thought on my mind. Um, It was to provide orthodontics to people who needed it. So, you know, we offered really low down payments and extended financing like a lot of us do. And then I dabbled in no down payment, zero down, just to see, you know, how that would be received and then long term, um, what that would look like in the practice. And in my area, we do, like I said, we do have a low kind of income population. So that was, that led to tremendous growth, right? Again, it didn't make me rich and that's not uh-huh. the point, um, but it did help a lot of people. When you're doing things that are helpful to, to families uh, that need that sort of help, they talk about it, they appreciate it, um, and they're really grateful. So that's kind of how I overcome that. But you look at each obstacle and that was one of them. And you come up with a game plan of what you can do to get past it. I love hearing you talk about kind of your practice and this sense of community that you have. And when you talk about this community involvement and, and you talk about marketing, you know, it's almost like you're talking about the same thing. Um, you don't, it doesn't seem like there's a big division between those two for you. How did you approach, you know, your, your, your marketing, your community involvement? Did that just kind of grow naturally? Was that something you had to work on? How do, how do orthodontists get into that mindset if they're not already there? So if you want to get involved in the community, I say just dive in. So for me, you know, I was newish, right? And I didn't know many of the professional people in the area. So when I first came back, I got involved. I joined my chamber. Okay. So that's something I recommend for everyone. Join the chamber. But that's not just writing a check to be a member. You'll get zero out of it if that's what you do. It's about the relationships and the people and um engaging and getting to know people, go to the monthly meetings or at least send your team and let the community know and the, the, the chamber businesses know you care because you're sending somebody to be there. Um, I'm also on the board for the chamber. I've joined networking groups like BNI, Business Networking International. They're all over. Highly recommend that too. That's a weekly meeting every one morning a week. And it's just an opportunity to get together with other like-minded people to promote each other's businesses. But through that, more opportunity comes because you meet people and they see that you care and they see that you want to be involved and um, you will have the opportunity for sure. So for me, it kind of grew naturally because I, I consider the community my family because I was new Yep. and I don't have children yet. And that's where I wanted to spend my time. And I don't know, it's just this natural thing in me. Like I like to give. So from the very beginning, um, anytime we were approached for a sponsorship or any sort of involvement, we said yes, every single time. But we didn't just write a check because that was never what was important to me. We said, absolutely, we can, you know, pay for your new jerseys or whatever it might be, or, you know, have the sponsorship that all they kind of gave was a sign on the field. And that's great. We, We love our sign on the field. But you know what? Can we be there at uh, student registration and have pizza and music and our dancing panda and and really get to know the families? And when you um, come back with that sort of request, they they usually say yes, and they're happy to have you. So that's kind of how we did our our sponsorships and stuff. And um, to get a little bit closer to now, every event we do, and we do a lot of events, it's all based on giving back to a local charity or a school or, or whatnot. We never keep the proceeds. It, it all goes back. And same thing with our patients. Um, so this is a big, big thing we do. A portion of every single treatment fee goes back to a local school charity or organization through a program we founded, Change Your Smile, Change Your Life. 
So it's just, you know, start small, get out there. But then if you find a passion for it and you love the feedback you're getting um, and it makes you feel good, you can evolve it and just continue to do more and more and more. Yeah. And what I love, I think, is that it just kind of organically derives from your whole practice culture, from kind of your personal mission. Mm -hmm. And I think that that very natural and authentic marketing is so much more effective than someone that says, what are two or three things I can do, you know, or or write a check for that are going to blow up my practice? I don't really think that those sorts of things exist. I think that, you know, the really effective practices that get themselves into a position where they're known in the community and that that develop a reputation, it, it kind of stems first from the sense of who they are and then looking kind of for natural opportunities to share that with other people and to get involved and it's more fun that way, too, because it's it's something that you care about. It's something that means something to you. And it doesn't maybe feel as much like work or I've got to go to another event or you're kind of dragging your heels. It's something that I think kind of really stems from what everyone in the office is already focused on. That's a good point. So if I was talking to somebody who maybe didn't have a natural passion for being out in the community, right, which not everyone does, I get that, I would sit down and say, what are you passionate about, Right probably family, you know, maybe it's good food. I don't know, whatever your, your hobbies are and your passions, what makes you happy? What do you want to do on your free time? And then I would try to develop a plan where you can incorporate your passions into your practice. Yeah. So for me, like I'm at home at my practice. I love it because everything that's important to me and in my heart is represented with my team and with my patients, you know? So you're absolutely right. You got to be authentic. And that's what everyone's talking about, right? What are your core values? And don't, you can't have somebody else write them. You can't copy somebody <laughs> else's. You can look at them for inspiration, right? Yep. I actually listened to a podcast on, um, oh, Zappos. Yeah. I think the podcast, how this was built or something like that. But Zappos culture really sprung with me because it matched my own, right? And it was all about making people feel good. So I developed mine kind of I was like, oh, that's what core values are supposed to be. Oh, I can sit down and write what's important to me and, you know, how we make people feel and things like that. But um, I think you have to first define like, yeah, what is important to me? Not thinking about the business and what's going to grow that or, or what it should look like on your website, but just what's important to you and then figure out, well, how can I incorporate that with my team and my patients? And then from there, it all kind of flows. It flows naturally. You talked a little bit about kind of having some well-defined goals and, and that you're big on that. You've been able to achieve a lot. Maybe kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and tell us how you kind of set goals and how do you translate, you know, maybe these big visions into, you know, what has to happen today on your to-do list. So um, first of all, for every goal I have, I share it with my team and they are motivated to achieve the goals, because if they achieve it, obviously the practice is going to be successful, but they also get rewarded as well. So we're very like goal incentive. That's how we work with the team. Okay. It's every month. It might be a random day. Hey guys. So after the summit, I learned a lot there. Um, the scan, I scan everyone and their mama. We are, we were not doing that. That was not on our radar. Well, the team was motivated about it. So randomly I'll say, Hey guys, if we scan three mamas today, I'll buy Starbucks for everyone. I try to make it fun um, because there are, you know, probably 10 goals in a given day that we're, we're thinking about. So that can be hard when you're seeing over a hundred patients a day to remember what the goals are and, and to give each one all the attention it needs to be successful. So 
I try to make it fun with like, you know, different rewards um, for the practice or for the team. I mean, for example, um, when we were just kind of starting out with Invisalign, I had goals and we had tiers. Like if we do 25 Invisalign in this period of time or whatnot, um, we'll all go out to dinner. Right. And that was the focus. And, and it wasn't about pushing or, or doing anything that we weren't comfortable with. It was just making it top of their mind for them to work on. The way we did that is we offered it to everyone. In our practice and in our marketing and everything we say is this, you choose what you want. You're the leader of your treatment. That was one of the goals we worked on and we accomplished. You know, this year we're working on a percentage of growth, which all of us have in our practice, right? We want to grow by 10, 20, 30%, whatever it might be. I'm in a pretty rapid growth phase still um, at four and a half years in. I know at some point it's going to teeter off, but you know what? I'm keeping it high. So we have something to work for and I can adjust it if I find this year it's not going to reach that percentage. So we have a quarterly goal and it's based on that percentage each month of new starts. You know, they already get bonus if we reach our goal this month. They get a, a portion of money uh, or bonus now and then another portion goes into a year-end bonus. So I don't have to think about what your, you know, Christmas bonus is. You earned your Christmas bonus. Here's what it is. So we have that, but on top of that, we're doing a quarter goal. So we might not hit it January. Our January is not looking as hot as I thought it would be based on last January. <laughs> but I think we can make it up in February and March. So we have a quarter goal and I let them pick. They usually like when I pick the, the activities because I try to find something unique and fun. But I said, well, here's a couple options. You guys vote. And so they, they voted. They uh, chose a wine and sign party if we reach our which was actually the cheapest of all the options I presented. <laughs> I'm like hot air balloon rides, diving classes, like all these fun things. But um, so that's one piece of it with the goals and how to get your team on board. Clearly define what they are, make it super obvious and on top of their mind every single day. So it's written on the big board in morning huddle and we review where we are. Throughout the day, I'll, we use Spark as our office messaging. I'll message them, how are we doing? Where's our numbers, right? reward them for their success. Um, another really important thing is break it down. So for example, growth, let's say your growth this year, you want 20% growth overall. So each month I calculate how many starts that would be based on my average fee. So that's just very one number, uh, just one number. So let's say it's whatever, 50 starts this month. Well, some of those starts are going to come from same day starts. Some of those starts are going to come from pre-scheduled starts from previous consults. Right. I know what we need our average conversion rate to be and our average same-day start conversion rate. So I'm like, okay, based on this percentage of conversion that my TCs typically perform at, we're going to get this many starts. Okay. So TCs, you have to hit this number for us to hit the goals. Right. Yep. But then I tell my, my front office manager, hey, TCs are responsible for this chunk of our starts this month, which lead to your bonus and your lead to your year end bonus. But you're responsible for the pre-scheduled starts and we won't hit our number unless those starts are pre-scheduled. So get on that list of pending patients, go back two years, call them all. And if they've started somewhere else or they don't want to start, that's okay. We're happy they're getting the treatment they needed. Get them off the list. And then we know they're taken care of. And make sure they show up the day of their appointment. Yes. Exactly. Um, and well, here's another thing. We know about 50% of our pre-scheduled starts in our office don't show. So if we need five on this day, you got to have 10 scheduled. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I mean by breaking down the goals into the little pieces. So you know really how you're going to achieve it by the end of the month. Um, but the other big piece of achieving or all your goals is having key people on your team that you can trust that are going to, I say obsess about it. There's probably a more positive word, but um, obsess about that goal. And every day they're focused on it and they're motivating their team and they're checking with their team. When I started the practice, that was me. Every day I'd walk around to the different departments, how are we doing? Let's look at it. What are the numbers? Um, what else can you do to achieve this? And I always had some sort of suggestion. And it's a lot of hands-on looking at the reports and calling people, texting them, emailing them. But now I can't do that because, again, I'm seeing all these patients by myself. So I have key people on my team that they're bonused on getting their team to do what needs to be done so the practice thrives. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting point where you get to in your practice, and you've gotten to it rather quickly, where it goes from this hierarchy where it's the doctor and then just kind of all the employees, and then you kind of insert this middle layer of people that are team leaders or department leaders. Was that a difficult transition to make? Was it hard to kind of get someone and maybe appoint them over their previous coworker and now they're in charge of them? How do you delegate effectively and, and, and not micromanage or undermine your middle management? I mean, that's kind of a tricky transition, I think, for some orthodontic practices to make. So we talk a lot about those sticky, sticky subjects, right? So um, you mentioned micromanaging, and we don't often use that word, but I would say I'm a micromanager um, because I'm just very focused and I want them to be successful and I want the practice to be successful. And the way my brain works is I know we can achieve it. So I don't want to fall short. We're so capable. My team's so capable. So I want them to achieve all the goals we set forth. For me, it's not difficult to delegate. If I trust the person and they show that they've got it, they're self-sufficient. I'm going to tell them something. They're going to run with it you know, they're accountable and things like that. And I, luckily I have a few people on my team that are, they, they aren't all that way. Not everyone's a leader born to be a leader. Um, and that's okay. So, um, I think that if I were to go back, I would, um, have a conversation. Hey, I need you to be a leader. This is what I expect. This is what we need. Here are the goals that you're going to focus on. And, you know, if we achieve the goals then you're going to be bonus because I know you're going to work extra hard to, um, hit the numbers. And if you don't, if we find that your style or you just can't motivate the team, because that's what it comes down to, inspiring and motivating the team, the way you talk and the way you approach things. So if we find you're, that's not a natural ability or you're not a, achieving what you want to achieve, that's okay. We'll, we'll figure something else out. So that's one thing I didn't do. I just kind of said, okay, you're the leader now, like go for it. But I found that not everyone I originally did that with was good at it. Yeah. And then it's hard to go back and say, okay, I'm going to take this away. So <laughs> I, think, I think if I was going to do it again, I, I'd say this is a trial period. Let's see if sure. this helps us achieve our numbers. Yeah, I think it's, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, you've got to find the right people, like you say, and then you've got to, you know, allow them to do their thing and kind of get buy-in from the rest of the office. I think when it can be done, and it sounds like you're doing it very effectively, it's tremendously powerful because if you can have other people that are kind of looking at these higher level goals. And what's nice about these kind of employees is they don't have to worry about all of the goals like you do. They just have to worry about a narrow thing that they can focus in on. 
if you have someone who's really taking complete ownership of that part of your practice in terms of, you know, the results and the goals, it can distribute a little bit of the energy that we have to bring every day to the office to kind of keep everyone moving in the right direction. Well, I would say too is, you know, for all the orthodontists trying to do this, first of all, figure out, am I the best motivator? Is that me? Because if you think it's not, like if you think when you talk, your team's not getting it, they're not getting inspired, they go on with their day and they didn't do anything you talked about, that's even more reason to find somebody on the team that's going to connect with them and motivate them better than you would. However, if you look at yourself and you say, actually, I think I'm probably one of the best motivators on the team. And I think that in my office, they like what I say and they like how I say it because they also know it's coming from my heart. Even though I have my leaders, when I listen to them sometimes in morning huddle, if I feel like the message isn't getting across like as strongly or um, in a way that's going to inspire the greatest, I will step in and back them up which I don't think is bad. And that's not micromanaging. I do in a way it looks like we're a team and we are a team. Yeah. One other thing I, I want to talk about is, you know, I think it comes easier when you start a practice to get a team on board for change. Might be more difficult if you have a more veteran team or maybe somebody who's not used to you because you've taken over a practice or, or you've just decided to do things differently now. So like I mentioned earlier, talk about those sticky things the elephants in the room, right? Most people don't like change. You hear a lot of people talk about that. Well, because my, my team pretty much grew with me and they're all young and a lot of them are new to orthodontics. From the very beginning, everything changed every month. Let's try it this way. No, let's try it this way. <laughs> we were trying to figure it out. Yep. Plus we were growing. When you're seeing, you know, five people a day, you have to do things very differently than if you're seeing 50 and then seeing 70 and then seeing 120, right? Right. Um, so you have to change. And, and again, this comes for me. I love change. I'm not scared of change. I'll try anything knowing that I may have to change it again if it doesn't work, right? Yep. So at first we had a lot of conversations about this because naturally, you know, the team that I was with, uh, they weren't used to that because most people aren't used to that in their life. Um, but we just talked about it. You don't have to worry about it. I know it's confusing. Last week we were doing it this way. All you got to <laughs> think about is how we're doing it today, right? So we would just talk about that. And now it's like not even a thing. Well, you've, you've selected for it over time, kind of through some natural selection. We had the same thing when I bought my practice. Some good people, honestly, uh, that, I, that I liked, but that they just didn't like to change. And uh, otherwise, they were, they were good people. Over time, and I'm sure this is the same in your practice, you end up with the people that, that actually enjoy it. They end up being people like yourself that like to change and they like to try new things and they, they like to see the progress. And um, once that culture kind of takes over in your practice, in an existing practice, you're right, it took me a couple of years to kind of get the kind of feel in our office that way. If at the startup, you could get it immediately. When you get to that point, though, then it kind of becomes a little bit self-reinforcing because anyone who joins after that point, kind of understands, oh, this is how the game is played at, at Wax Orthodontics. That's true for everything. You know, um, years ago, it was hard to get people to do our community events uh -huh. because we are out in the community about 50 times throughout the year. About five of those times are our own events that we host. The rest are, you know, going to this uh, basketball team we're sponsoring or, you know, going to this other event at the zoo that with our booth and things like that or different expos. Um, and no one wanted to work on the weekends or after hours, which I get, but we made it very clear. 
we have to do this. We all need to pitch in. This is what our community wants. This is why they support us. This is why we've grown so fast. So, you know, this is what, why we have to do it. Um, it's not an option. However, if everyone does a little bit, then it's not as much of a burden. But the other way I try to inspire people or motivate them is telling them why it, it helps them. So, for example, if you go to this event, TC, you're going to have more consultations in the next couple months. You get bonus on, you know, conversions and things like that. So, ultimately, this is going to help you, right? Right. Or those, those individuals that need more money. Well, let's give <laughs> them more hours. Here's an opportunity. You know, yep. and then if I find like the morale's kind of down and we haven't had this in a while, but I might say, here's the thing. If you get five people to schedule a consultation at the event, I'll give you a hundred bucks or what we'll, we'll make it fun. You know, right. so I'm never scared to throw out little carrots like that. You know, I don't know why I, I do that. I like to, I like to give, like I said, but also like if there's a local business that rewards me for referring a, a friend, you know, and even if I get $25, whatever, I'm excited. I'm like, cool, let's do it. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about them anyways. So if I get a little something like, cool. The other thing that I think is probably apparent to our listeners, but it's certainly apparent to me as I'm talking with you, is that the doctor themselves has to be willing to change, right? You, you, you mentioned you like to try new things. You like to do things differently. Uh, it's hard to grow your practice or to really accomplish anything substantial if you're not willing to kind of step outside of your own comfort zone. So this, this is certainly not the sort of thing you can come back and tell your team like, oh, just, you know, do this or that or whatever. It, unless you're willing to change, unless you're willing to change the way that you interact with people, figure out what your weaknesses are, ask your team to help you with things that maybe aren't your natural strength, work different hours or, or, or I mean, there's, there's all different ways that we do this, but you know, if we're not willing to make these changes and ask of ourselves some uncomfortable things, it's going to be hard to get where we want to go. Yeah, that that's true. And sometimes, you know, we're all trying to figure things out in our mind. We don't have the answers and we don't know the best way to do it or the right way to do it. So sometimes, and I'm vulnerable with my team. And I, and again, in my head, I go back and forth, am I too vulnerable? Am I telling them too much? <laughs> Um, but I've been very vulnerable with them. And if I'm trying to figure something out, I will open up the floor and say, can we talk about this? What do you guys think? Like, I'm thinking this or this, and they usually help me and they make it clearer for me. And then they're also on board. Yeah. I've done the same thing. I feel like there's been times where I've said, what, what is going on here? I don't quite understand this situation. And then, you know, you kind of have to set the setting and the tone of the conversation so people feel comfortable vocalizing, perhaps. But, you know, they'll say, you know, Dr. Miller, when you come in and, and you say this, I can see how the mom reacts to that. And like, <laughs> don't do that. Like, we, we've kind of set it up for you. And then you say it in the wrong way or you don't mean it this way or something, you know, and, and I... And, you know, there's always that initial like defensive feeling where I want to justify what I'm doing because I probably do have a reason for doing it. But the, but the reality is, is my reason for doing it is not important enough to to overcome, you know, the, the harm or the or the problem that's that that's creating. But but the staff all see it. And I, we've definitely had those sorts of conversations and they're they're really powerful. Like you say, I think it endears your staff to you. They want to help you. Everyone is kind of pulling in the, the right direction. That I think also can be super powerful. Well, and you pointed out, hey, guys, I'm not perfect. None of us here are perfect. So I'm open. If you see something you think I can improve for our patients, please tell me. We'll talk about it. But the reverse is true, too. 
If I come to you and need something changed or um, altered, please be open enough that you're going to alter it for what our patients need. I love that. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, work-life balance. I get the sense that you're kind of you know, laser focused on your practice. How do you think about kind of balancing your, your personal life, you know, work, other things, you know, hobbies, interests, uh, fitness, all of the above? Okay. So that's a, uh, that was what the topic was at the summit um, when I spoke there. And at first I was thinking, I'm not the best one to talk on this because I don't have balance. I have zero balance. It's all work <laughs> and community and growth and goals, right? But then I started thinking about it more and I'm like, well, no, because when I have children, which I hope to have soon, I will shift that balance. And I think of it as a teeter-totter. Right now, my teeter-totter is completely weighed down 100% with work. But as I have children, like I want my family to be successful too. So I'm going to give that a little bit more attention and the practice a little bit less. However, I'm trying to do things now so that when I do step away a little bit, it's still a machine. And they still have my core values working every single day. And they're thinking the way I think. So that's why we work so hard right now. But again, if if I shifted that, if I imagine having a family and I gave my family 100% and my practice zero, my practice would suffer. It would die. So for me, balance is a constant shifting thing. Oh, my family needs me a little bit more. Okay, let me focus on that for maybe a week or two or set up monthly meetings and things like that. I'm sorry, monthly, um, you know, family bonding and things like that. But in creating that structure so that the family long term is successful, I almost think of a family as another business, as weird as that sounds. Um, But it takes planning and um, strategy for anything to be successful and conscious decisions. So it's I think a, a balance is always shifting. And what makes sense currently right now in your life, you know, again, I listen, I love podcasts, love them. You know, it takes me about an hour to get ready, shower, hair, whatever before work. And so that's the perfect time to get in my episodes. But um, I listened to another podcast and, and it was about family. And they were also business people um, and business minded. And they said once a year, I loved this. Once a year, they go on a, a, a retreat, you know, the, the husband and wife. And they have a agenda and the agenda is what are our financial goals and they both come prepared to talk about it so that they both get their ideas out in a clear fashion and then they figure it out from there. But you know, what are their financial goals? What are their family goals? What are their relationship goals? Things like that. I think that um, having a plan and giving both equal amount of attention, although on a daily basis, it won't be equal, right? but on a long-term basis, maybe equal is how you you go through life as balanced as possible. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting. When I think about it, you know, it really has to do with the time frame that you select to, you know, to, to determine this balance, right? So yeah. I think it's kind of a, a trendy topic or, or a millennial topic maybe to talk about this work-life balance where every day or every week you're supposed to be able to have this balance even in your 20s and 30s. And I think that perhaps we can take a longer horizon, which I think is what you're suggesting, and say, over this decade, maybe I was a little more balanced. But the first couple of years, I was more involved in, in the practice. And then, and, and then I did have more time once it came to do this or do that. So it's not really an excuse or, or a permission slip to get yourself wildly out of balance. But I think what you're saying is true, that we kind of have to realize that there are different seasons in our life. 
And sometimes we do overinvest in a certain pursuit on a smaller time frame of, of months or years. And, and hopefully that yields some, some dividends or some payoff, you know, later on when we have, when we're able to reap the results of this. And, that, and I find that's true for myself. I'm entering my ninth year of practice here. And I would say that my first three or four years were pretty laser focused on my practice. You know, I'm an orthodontist, so we don't work like crazy hours. I mean, I'm still home for dinner and whatever else. I'm not like a, some Wall Street guy working 100 hours a week. But you know, now I definitely do feel like, okay, the practice is more where I want it. The culture is more where I want it. And I do feel like I can focus a little bit more on some things outside of the office. And, uh, you know, that's been really, really nice to see. But I don't think I would go back and, and work, you know, less hard or give less energy at the beginning. That was what I was passionate about. I think assessing too, like, what's making me happy and what's making me not happy in my mind, right? Right. Because right now, when I'm home, I'm still really at work because I know that eventually I want to shift my balance, but I'm planning for that because I don't prioritize. Everything's number one priority to me, which drives <laughs> me crazy and probably my team crazy sometimes, although they're getting it more and more. Um, everything's a priority. I don't even know how to order it any differently. So when I want to shift away from my practice a bit, and, and kind of just redefine my balance. I don't want the practice to suffer. I want it to keep going as strong as it is now, which won't, right? Which can't if I'm spending some time and attention on something else. So what I'm doing is I'm planning. I always look ahead. So I'm okay to overhire. I have a very different mentality about this. I'm okay to be a little bit overstaffed to plan for growth, right? So I'm not always trying to catch up. Right. Here's another thing. I just hired a COO. And I am training that COO to be me business-wise. So they're going to obsess about the leaders on the team hitting the goals. And I'm giving them all the strategies. If we're down on this goal, here are a bunch of reasons why that might be and what we can do. If we're down on this goal, same thing. I'm training her. Yeah, it's early. I'm four and a half years in. I have a COO, an office manager, front office manager, all these things, right? I'm premature on that. But I'm doing it because I know we're going to get to the point we need them. And when we get to the point we need them, they're already going to be trained. I won't have to train them at that point. Yeah. And then I can step away and be with my family. So if you know eventually you want to shift your balance, plan for that. No, I, I love that. I love how you're so intentional with all of these things. And it's not just that you kind of, you know, have some idea that you want it, but you're actually kind of going around and figuring out what's, what are the steps, you know, how can I build this out from the ground up to, to get where I want. And, and I think that that's super cool. So let's wrap up here, Nicole. This has been a blast and the time is, is uh, just flying here. Let's wrap up with our Express 8, eight quick questions and get some answers. And then we'll, uh, we'll call it a day. How's that sound? Sounds great. What is your go-to treatment for full step class twos? Elastics. And if I have to use a fixed class two corrector, it'll be a forces or we'll dabble in a couple different things. But please just wear your elastics. <laughs> <laughs> I get the sense that you, you do a good job motivating your patients. So that probably works out well. What's your standard retention protocol? Um, we provide two clear retainers, upper and lower, when finishing treatment. Who are your role models or mentors? Um, this has come later in my life, but my mom, I didn't realize that she is as hardworking as I am, if not more. She loves her profession. She's the nicest person I've ever met um, and has the best work ethic. So she is my uh, role model. 
Nicole, what's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? Something you wouldn't want to practice without? Oh, man. I mean, I love Invisalign, but... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, sounds good. Yeah. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Oh, I've not explored much. I need <laughs> to. But um, the, the places I enjoy the most are rural, in the middle of nowhere, upper Michigan, beautiful scenery, bonfires, and quiet. Yep. I love that about people from Michigan. When you ask them, they're like, we want to go further into Michigan, more <laughs> Michigan. It's like, the, it's like the people here in, in New Hampshire. You're like, where do you go on vacation? They're like, oh, we go up to Maine. You're like, you go, wait, you go further north? They're like, yes. It's, I, and so I know, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. What's one great book you've read recently? I'm not much of a reader because it instantly puts me to sleep. I can't get through a book. So I'm more of a podcaster. Okay. Love your podcast, Lance. Um, I also love, oh gosh, what's the name of How This Was Made? How I Built This NPR? That's what it is. Yeah. So the founders of the businesses like Southwest, you know, Airlines. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. About, yeah, that was a good one. Um, so that's my, one of my favorite. And then Entree Leadership is another amazing podcast focused on leadership and completely unrelated to orthodontics. But I like that because it's a different perspective. I like that too. I like that too. I think that's Dave Ramsey's group and that's a great one. So Mm -hmm. what bracket system are you currently using? I use American Ortho Twin. And what's one area of orthodontics that you'd like to learn more about in 2019? I have a lot to learn because I'm only four (laughs) and a half years in. So sleep apnea, I think is something I want to learn because I think it could be extremely beneficial for our population. TMJ, I have a lot of people in my practice that complain about TMD symptoms. And um, although I know quite a bit about it from my residency, I usually refer to a specialist so they can, they can kind of guide that part of treatment, but there aren't very many specialists. So I think, um, do I have a passion for treating that stuff? No, but (laughs) our patients keep asking about it, you know? So I think there's, at least incorporating somebody in my practice that does know it. And honestly, the other big thing is for me to be very hands-on with my patients when it comes to the more difficult conversations. I sometimes step away and let my team handle it, but I think I need to get in there and talk about compliance. Like we're not going to achieve any good results if you don't comply. And, And I think that I need to probably start diving, like being more involved in those conversations myself with the family. I like that a lot. I... I never want to get away from my core values, even as big as we plan to grow. Nicole, this has been a fantastic conversation. I want to thank you so much for spending uh, some of your time. People out there might not realize, but we're recording this on Sunday morning, super early, like really early in the morning on Sunday morning. So thank you for getting up and coming on the podcast and sharing uh, this fantastic information with our listeners. Thank you guys so much. And I'm an open book. So if anyone ever wants to reach out, um, and I know you usually ask that, you can email me, drwax, drwax at waxortho.com or find me on Facebook. I love, like I said, I love to help if I can. And all this stuff is exciting to me. So thank you so much, Lance, for giving me the opportunity to meet with you. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure many of our listeners today have been kind of motivated and inspired. So uh, thanks again and look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you. Have a wonderful Sunday with your family. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode. 